Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the C-Suite podcast that's being produced in partnership with the British Business Bank to support their Green to Grow campaign, which has recently launched with the aims of demystifying and alerting smaller businesses to the commercial benefits of investing in decarbonisation. This podcast is part of a wider series of guides and information about sustainability issues and how smaller businesses can start their journey towards net zero, provided by the bank on its finance hub. Uh, My name is Russell Goldsmith, and to discuss this topic. I'm thrilled to be joined online by two small business owners who perhaps are at slightly different stages of their business growth. Uh, firstly, in Cardiff is Aoife Doherty, founder of Floris, a UK-based sustainable stationery company. And I should add that um, Aoife is also Cardiff Business Awards Young Business Person of the Year 2021. Uh, we then have Wing Chan, uh, co-founder and CEO of Sourceful, a sustainability platform that helps businesses source more sustainable products and uh, Wing's company has raised over $12 million in funding to date. Uh, Completing our online panel is Richard Reed, co-founder of Innocent Drinks and of Jam Jar Investments. Uh, Plus, we'll also be hearing from Shanika Amarasakara, MBE, the British Business Bank's Chief Impact Officer, who I caught up with earlier to hear more about the campaign and the research the bank has done around the transition to net zero for SMEs. Uh, Now, before we find out a little bit about Aoife and Wing's uh, businesses, Rich, I'd like to come to you first because the British Business Bank recently released some research which showed that the majority of senior decision makers in smaller businesses in the UK don't understand how increasingly commonly used sustainability terms such as net zero, carbon neutral, carbon footprint, how they all apply to their businesses. So maybe that's where we should start this conversation. Do do those findings surprise you? And and why do you think this important message is, is still not getting through? Well, I have to say the findings did make me gently but firmly, repeatedly bang my head on my desk because you think, how can people in this day and age, especially people running businesses, still not be aware of this stuff? You know, your job as a person running a business is to be intuitively in line with what your consumers are thinking. So I would love to think that if you're a business person that's not engaging with these topics, you will not be a business person for that much longer because I have a high degree of confidence that even if the senior people aren't thinking about it, the young new generations of consumers most certainly are. And they're the ones that are going to be funding and supporting the businesses of the present and the future. So I would take it as a as a warning call, last orders at the bar of people that don't understand about this thing. It is real. It is happening. And most importantly, I would say it presents a fantastic opportunity for business people to really inhabit and go after these concerns and make sure that their business is delivering against it, exceeding against it, and they will find competitive advantage in having done so. You started Innocent Drinks way before sustainability was so high on the agenda. How important was that for you at that time? We had a very clear sense of we set up the business to make it easy for people to be healthy. So the ingoing hypothesis was about wanting to make it, you know, so people could do themselves some good. And we had from the beginning a 10% profits of going to charity. But that was the extent of it at year one. It was only in year two that my co-founder, Adam, came back one day and said, what's happening to all the plastic bottles after people have drunk them. And it's embarrassing to say is we hadn't 
thought about that. But the actual early success of the business made us suddenly think we are now responsible for the creation of back then hundreds of thousands of plastic bottles that otherwise might not have been created and might not otherwise be going to landfill. So it was actually the very reality that we were creating with our business that made us aware of the issues. And of course, once you've had that moment, once you've asked that question, you start unpicking everything. So that was the, the desire to be healthy and to be charitable was in the DNA from the beginning. The wider sense of environmental responsibility came after 12 months, but then became essentially the one of the great organizing principles of, of the business and became how we differentiated, how we attracted really top-grade talent, which I think is one of the best benefits you get from being a more socially aware company. You get more intelligent, committed people working for you, and that's how you win long-term. But yeah, I can't claim it was in from the beginning, but it was in from quite early on. And Coca-Cola took ownership of Innocent in 2013, if I've got that right. So what did you do to ensure that the ethos of the company that you started carried on uh, once you'd left? Well, the brilliant thing was they bought Innocent because of the ethos. Right. We sold to Coca-Cola after 15 years of business. Coca-Cola signaled an interest in investing the company from our second year of business. So right from the early days, and they were very clear. Coca-Cola essentially is a brand-owning organization. That's what it does. It is in the business of owning brands. And they were very clear. They loved what the brand stood for. So actually, it wasn't that we had to sort of protect it. It was the thing that they said, they used their language, we're not going to buy an oil painting and then paint over it ourselves. And they even asked some of our sustainability team, because we'd built probably the best sustainability team in Europe back then. They asked our team to come in and help their team and, and improve their organization in that area too. But the, the, the money going to charity was a done deal. That continues to this day. The commitment to you know, using more environmentally friendly packaging, that is, is a done deal to this day. Using Coke's money, Innocent has now built the single most environmentally efficient manufacturing site on the planet. There is no manufacturing site has the highest and first to achieve the highest possible environmental standards grades in manufacturing. So the pursuits that we embarked upon back then to have a business that we could be proud of and to leave things a little bit better than we found them, which was the language we used back then, and we used it the whole way through the business. It, something we can be proud of, something that will leave things better we could find it. It continues to this day. They bought into it. But you also have to understand that, yes, they bought the business, but the running of the business remains by the people that are innocent. It's a totally standalone venture. It continues to be led by its mission, by its values, by this quest to can we today do better than yesterday and even better tomorrow in terms of healthy provision of products, raising money for charity and having a socially and environmentally light footprint in terms of how we go about business. That's a great opportunity then to bring uh, Aoife and, and Wing into the conversation, just hearing that story of, of your business, as, as I said at the top of the show, they're kind of at, at the start of their journey. So so maybe let's start by you both you know, telling us a little bit more about your businesses, but also why sustainability is so important to you. So Aoife, let, let's come to you first. So I own Flores, which is a sustainable stationary brand. Sustainability has always been important to me, I think. My GCSE teacher, um, in graphic design first like introduced me to um, like sustainable product developing processes and just 
kind of put that thought in my mind about what happens to products after they've been used. And like, I just never really let go of that thought. And it's always been in the back of my mind then, like all the way through school into uni, every project I did, I was always thinking about how does this like down to leaflets and things how when this is thrown away what happens to it and does it end up on landfill and create this problem or can we recycle it can it biodegrade and yeah so when I thought about starting a business I knew that sustainability was going to be a key part of that business and yeah that's kind of where my idea came from. And I love stationery. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so talk us talk us through exactly how the product that you're offering with your um, because because it's it's the sustainable stationery, but you're also using this. You know, you you print with vegetable based ink. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I did my dissertation on printing technologies and vegetable based inks came up as part of my research, and I was just really interested in it, and I don't think that there's many stationary businesses who actually uh, use vegetable-based ink. So I was really keen to learn more about it. And I found UK manufacturers who use this technology. And I did want to manufacture in the UK as close to home as possible to reduce carbon emissions. And yeah, when I found that there was UK printers using vegetable based inks they thought great um, and we use recycled paper or FSC approved paper if we can't use recycled. And, ju- and just out of interest how, how did the British Business Bank support you then? I started my business in August and when you own a business you have to start thinking about Christmas pretty, pretty soon so I got in touch with them for a loan to help me invest in like wrapping paper and a few other things. We also invested in um, handmade journals. They're manufactured in the UK as well um, and they're refillable. So that was, again, a concept that I wanted to sort of play on myself. It's like the old Filofax refillable journals I wanted to do my own take on that and yeah so I used that investment for that and then um, I had a further loan from them for a pop-up in John Lewis and to invest in expanding my product range again. Wing you're you're helping businesses reduce their carbon footprint by helping them find greener suppliers tell us a little bit more about how you're achieving that. Yeah, so at Sourceful, we help brands design better products, more sustainable products, starting with packaging. There are three things that businesses are trying to achieve. You know, from a brand side, they're trying to build a customer experience. It needs to look good. It needs to feel good. It needs to tell the story. In a world where there are a million brands, you need to tell a, a better story. The second thing is operationally, you need to think about costs. You can't avoid costs. You can't avoid the dynamics of how fast it is to make it. Is, is there leakages? Are there returns? Are there problems in transit? And then you've got sustainability, which finally with data, we're starting to differentiate terms like plastic free. What does recycling look like? Actually, how does the whole journey look? And so you have these three problems. And what we've done is provide the data through the manufacturing and logistics journey to have one place on our platform where you can see price, you can see the design, and you can see the carbon footprint of the packaging of the products that you're designing. And it's this data that allows you to finally make better decisions because not every business can have a world-class sustainability team like Innocent Built and Coca-Cola bought, right? And so they can't all have the scale of buying and they need access to it. They want that because consumers are looking for 
um, brands that they can trust. And so we're building the platform to help them get that data and to make those decisions together. Before this, you would have a design team on one side, an operations team on one side, and then now a sustainability team. And they'd all operate in silos and try and find a solution that works. But now with our solution, they can have one place for them all to come together and make decisions at the same time. And so we work with suppliers who are willing to give us the data around their materials, how they make the products, um, things like where their ink comes from with this type of approach, which is how do you find the balance between price with cost, you know, with the time it takes to make it and the, the carbon footprint together in one place. Rich, you were nodding along to uh, quite a bit of what uh, Wing was just saying there. Well, I was nodding to both, but actually, yeah, but it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, by the end of it, Innocent was blessed up this fantastic sustainability team, but we couldn't have afforded it from the beginning. So the ability to have a sort of a, a, a resource you can go to to make those decisions easier and skip to the last page, I see that tremendously useful. And of course, and, and I think stationery is a fantastic product to start the journey on, right? I mean, it's everything makes a difference. And really, the big changes are the summation of small changes. And so whether it's the ink you're using or the paper or the, the fact that you don't have to throw away your diary but can replenish it, these things at scale add up. And that's how you affect change, isn't it? If everyone does their bit, we're going to really move the move the dial. Wing, what type of businesses are you working with then in terms of size, location, sector? Yeah, we're working with businesses that have raised their first round of funding and are scaling up, going into lots of products, lots of categories. And they're trying to find a way to, at scale now, bring sustainability to everything that they do with the consumer, as well as brands that are just starting. And they want that journey. They don't want to start with unsustainable packaging. They want to start with their brand ethos being, we need to find an environmentally friendly way, a footprint light way of bringing our products to market. And so we have offerings for both. We have a platform that helps brands who are just starting and they can find everything they want. And then for scale-up brands, we offer a suite of services from design and sustainability consulting all the way through to uh, technology to help them manage their stock at scale. Rich, Wing Aoife clearly got passions behind you know launching their businesses trying to achieve you know what they're trying to achieve how do we get other small business owners to be inspired by this challenge well you could either do it for hardcore capitalist commercial reasons or you can do it for great spiritual social reasons and anywhere along on that on that spectrum but because the truth is it pays dividends in whichever thing you're motivated by i can prove to you that innocent saved money by going down the environmental footprint. I can tell you that it also created value in terms of brand equity. So it's very easy to make the commercial case for it. But in addition to that, you've got this personal sense of satisfaction and the reduction of guilt from actually doing it in the right way. And I think that also translates into a more engaged, a more committed a high-performing workforce. So to me, I genuinely am repeatedly incredulous at people that don't participate in it because you're going to get rich by doing the right thing. And that's a really good, simple proposition. And if you're not interested in getting rich by doing the right thing, then of course, leave it well alone. But don't expect the rest of the world to stay static consumers' expectations, because we're human, they're progressive. Whatever we're given today, we expect it to be better tomorrow. And that's as true in terms of how 
delicious we want our food as it is of how environmentally responsible and socially aware we want the products and services that we engage within. You might get away with it in the short term. You're not going to get away with them in the long term. But the more positive argument is you're going to create greater brand value, have a better committed, higher quality team. And I think you're going to save some cash. So it's to me, it's just I'm interested academically, intellectually in the counter argument, but I've yet to find a good one. And, and in terms of your your role now in, in Gemjar, you know, so as an investor, is, is this something that's key to, you know, when you're looking for for businesses to invest in? Are you looking at, at what they're doing in terms of their sust- sustainability goals? Well, the first thing is we ask ourselves, using actually the original language of innocent, is this a business that we will be proud of being associated with? And by being proud of, we mean two things. We mean absolutely, is it going to make money? Is it going to be big? Is it going to be profitable, all that stuff. But we mean, are we going to be proud of it in terms of the inherent nature of what it does? And we have absolutely passed on businesses that irrespective of how much money there was potentially made in it, it did not sit right with us in terms of the nature of its thing. Because, and here's the sidebar to all this stuff about sustainability and environmental awareness, which as you know, I 100% endorse It's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is the actual innate nature of the products and service that you're bringing to markets. How's that in the world? What is that doing to its consumer base? What is that doing to the people that literally consume it or or use it and the communities around it? Some businesses, the very nature of their products are net positive. Some are are net negative. So you firstly got to ask yourself, true sustainability, in my opinion, is, is the thing itself of a positive contribution to the world? And then is it environmentally and socially efficient? And then does it engage and treat its workforce well? And ideally, does it also share some of the value it creates with the communities in which it has extracted that value from? So it's actually a four-fold decision. Environmental social responsibility, I'd say, is the second most important, but the highest order of all is the thing itself a good thing. We want to do stuff that isn't. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's like if a UK-based fast fashion brand or something was using recycled materials, but fast fashion encourages people like this throwaway culture. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think we've got to, in that respect, we also have to teach consumers about the importance of sustainability. And I don't know why, I, I just think... Sometimes I feel like the information just isn't getting out there enough, you know? Yeah, I think what's changed is the tangibility of the value side, right? So most of us, when we went to businesses, it's all about growing the value of the business. How much is the value going to be worth? What's the revenue? What's the profit? And there was always this aspect of the business values. What do they care about? But it was it was very intangible because before things like net zero and carbon footprint and and more tangible initiatives, data-driven initiatives, these externalized costs remained externalized. They were sort of things that you did for a marketing reason, but they weren't core to your brand. And what we've seen is the rise of brands that would tick Richard's criteria now, where the core thesis is to take a category which was doing something in a certain way and replace it fundamentally. And of course, that is the product, that is the packaging, that is the way they run the business, that's how they hire the team. So I think this, this change of values and value to being something that now is intrinsic is a great shift. And it's also down to the fact that intangibles have become more tangible and are being talked about more as well. And But it's still, as per the report, 
still far away from a lot of people's minds and that needs to change. Well, I just want to share a stat from the British Business Bank. So this was according to uh, their smaller business and the transition to net zero report. So this was released in October 2021. In there, it said only 5% of smaller businesses say reducing their carbon footprint and environmental impact is their number one priority for 2022, with more than a third citing costs as a barrier for reducing their carbon emissions, uh, particularly the upfront capital costs. Wing, let's let's stick with you on this then. What what would you say to those business leaders that, that think it's too expensive or is not a priority for them at the moment? Yeah, I think so there's this green premium, which is that, you know, in order to get something more sustainable, it's going to cost you a lot more. That is, we think, in general, a myth that the, the main issue is knowledge and access. It's not that the solutions don't exist, it's that you don't know how to find them. And that is also because there's a lot of marketing of products that aren't really sustainable, but you can't tell the difference. So I think there is a challenge for businesses to find trusted sources where they can find better suppliers. I think that's one. The second thing is it's on the data. So if you have two suppliers and they both say that they make sustainable packaging, sustainable materials, sustainable products, how do you tell them apart? What is the way that you understand that? And so just like a review system, just like an accreditation, how would you determine that? You know, with our platform, we have a live carbon footprint score. But outside of that, do small businesses have the time to audit their supply chains deeply? And I think actually the answer is that they should do, they need to, because ultimately what they're selling to customers is a lot about trust, is that they've done the work. And so there's going to be a, a bigger shift towards, do you know your suppliers? You know, you have know your customer, but do you know your suppliers and where that stuff comes from ultimately is going to be important. Aoife, you're obviously relying on on suppliers. How much of what Wing was just saying is is relevant to you there? Yeah, I think that, again, really good point. I think people don't have the knowledge about sustainability and they don't understand certain aspects of it so they maybe do buy into false marketing and then get caught up in buying something that they didn't think that's what they were getting and so yeah I think I think it is just a case of getting more knowledge out there I have a lot of small business owners ask me about certain plastics and how they can improve their packaging I know that's what Wing said a lot of businesses start with and I think that is crucial packaging is a huge part of a product and a lot of it is plastic at the moment so yeah I had a wax melt company message me about how can I package my wax melts to make sure that people can see them but the packaging is still recyclable or biodegradable things like that and I yeah, I think it's the time as well. It's not just about having the knowledge of who to go to to find your supplier. It's about, I think people think it's quite a daunting task and it's going to take them a lot of time and research. And do they want to put in that research and time into that or do they want to continue on social media and grow in their business in, in another way? Rich, your thoughts on this number of only 5% of smaller businesses say reducing their carbon footprint, environmental impacts is, is number one priority? It's a, it's a low number, isn't it? Well, yes, but I mean, I, 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 don't, I would support it. I don't think it should be your number one priority. Your number one priority is to essentially make sure you're looking after your consumers better than the competition and doing so in a way that's profitable to you as an organisation. So with all of this, you have to be clear-sighted. There's no point being you know, a faux hippie about it. We're, we're businesses. we got to buy it cheaper than we sell it. We've got to get the money in before we pay it out. And these are the basic fundamentals of having an organization which is sustainable financially. 
So I don't, I, I really don't advocate putting it number one, but I would put it as a primary concern because of the opportunity. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do as a business is make money, build trust, recruit talent and keep it motivated. And concern of carbon and climate change, environmental protection, it directly serves all the basic business agendas of saving money and creating value. And But I mean, you've got an example, I'm sure, where you, you changed the way you were packaging, you know, with the pallets and, and how you were transporting them. That's exactly, it's a great example. It's incredibly tedious and simple, but it was transformational in terms of money saved and carbon saved. And we realised that our cases of smoothies are being stacked 10 high on the pallets that are going in the back of the truck. And the truck have two levels for the ground floor of pallets and the top floor of pallets. And you charge, you're charged per pallet. But when one looks into the back of the truck, the space between the top of the top box of the ground floor pallets before the, the first floor of the truck where the second floor of pallets go. And we could put, we realized we could put an extra three layers of cases, cost no more money, but suddenly we're transporting the better part of 30% more for the same truck on the road. And it just that's just that's just literally a saving that falls through to the bottom line and makes the business more efficient. But the crazy thing is, and it's the most basic obvious point, but you pay for carbon, it's expensive and only getting more so. So if you can find a way to reduce the carbon used in your business, you're going to save money. And then you're going to have a positive story to tell. It's going to help your brand in the eyes of the consumer marginally. I don't, I don't put a huge amount of value by that, but it's something it helps. But it's more that I so believe that anyone who's sane and intelligent, which is what you want of your workforce, any sane and intelligent people are not increasingly going to be prepared to work for companies that are blind to these concerns and will increasingly will want to work for companies that are alive to them it doesn't happen overnight it's a trend but it's an accelerating trend as the situations that we're dealing with gets worse so there's just so much opportunity to be to be reaped by being the the people that go early it's the classic first move advantage of business you get first move advantage by getting to a new market launching a new type of product you get first move advantage by just being ahead of your peer group in terms of other businesses, in terms of the stories that you have to tell of how you have reduced or ideally made your negatives positives in terms of the, the imprint you have as an organisation on the society and the environment and the communities around you. OK, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, earlier this week, I caught up with Chanika Amara who is the Chief Impact Officer at the British Business Bank. And I started by asking her how big a role smaller businesses have to play in the drive to net zero. Smaller businesses are such a pivotal part of the UK economy. They make up 99% of UK's nearly 6 million enterprises. And the British Business Bank's Smaller Businesses and the Transition to Net Zero report, which we published in October last year, found two key findings about smaller businesses and the role that they play in driving to net zero. And one is that smaller businesses often on an individual level have relatively low emissions footprints. Um, But collectively, smaller businesses account for around half of all UK business greenhouse gas emissions. So what's clear is that we can't really reach net zero without a step change in how smaller businesses operate. We also found that um, half of smaller businesses believe, however, 
that a reduction in their carbon emissions won't make a significant difference to the environment, and that almost three in four believe that actually larger corporations are responsible for most of the business carbon emissions. And we know from the data that we found in our report that that's not correct. That's interesting. Now, you've also recently surveyed senior decision makers in, in smaller businesses on, on this topic. Can you share some of the headline findings from that research as well? Yes, and there were some interesting findings from that as well. What we discovered was that um, over half of the decision makers that we surveyed believed that the language, the terminology and information around carbon emissions reductions are overly complicated. Um, Around 61% said that they'd find it really helpful to have more information and more advice about taking action to measure and to reduce their business carbon emissions. And half of those wanted advice on measuring their business's carbon footprint. Um, And half of them wanted advice and information to help work out if reducing their carbon emissions made financial sense for their business or not. Um, And 44% don't know where to get the information on reducing carbon emissions or how best to approach related commercial or financial opportunities. And and this um, issue around terminology, was there anything in particular that they were confused by? So the top terms that were misunderstood by businesses included greenhouse gas emissions, where nearly 90% of businesses didn't really have a full understanding of the term or what it meant for their business, followed closely by decarbonisation, which 78% didn't understand, and also net zero, which 74%, and, and then also terms like carbon neutral or carbon footprint, and where, where many businesses, over half of the businesses, didn't understand what it meant. And, and too often, smaller businesses are put off by the over-complex carbon jargon that comes with reducing their emissions. And what we're trying to do by helping to decipher some of the terminology around decarbonisation is to show smaller businesses that simple and incremental changes can really make a big difference in their net zero transition. Why is it so important then that, that small businesses need to make this transition to net zero? So it's becoming an increasingly important business requirement for smaller businesses. Most consumers now consider sustainability when they make a purchase, as do bigger businesses who smaller businesses are part of the supply chain with. And by becoming greener, smaller businesses can enhance their competitive edge and expand their customer base as well. So there really is a business imperative behind smaller businesses starting their journey of transitioning to net zero. Well, that leads nicely onto my next question then, because I, I, I know that you've uh, the, the British Business Bank have, have recently launched a new guide to support businesses on their journey to, uh, to net zero. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, and it's something that we're excited about because it tackles the problems that we heard about around terminology. And it's our new online glossary of terms, which we call the Green Decoder, um, which is co-created with the Nottingham Business School at Nottingham Trent University to help smaller businesses decipher the terminology around decarbonisation and to support the transition to net zero for the smaller businesses. It's part of our Green to Grow campaign and along with other the content for small businesses available on our online finance hub, which can be accessed at www.british-business-bank.co.uk forward slash finance hub. 
Um, and it's part of the wider content on the sustainability section on the Finance Hub. Uh, we also provide a series of guides and information about sustainability issues and how smaller businesses can start their journey towards net zero and would really encourage businesses who want more information and advice on how to transition to net zero to take a look at the Finance Hub. Rich Wing, Aoife, um, what do you think to some of the stats that Shanika just shared there? Do, do those numbers surprise you? Aoife, let's, let's come to you first. They don't surprise me, to be completely honest. I think that there is a lot of confusion around sustainability terms and it just comes back to this. I think existing business owners view sustainability as this really complex thing when I just want to like say to them, you can start with one change and it will make an impact and you can go from there. You don't have to change your whole business. You can literally make one change and you will have a huge impact if it's your packaging, whatever it is. And in that sense, you don't really have to worry about these terms just yet. If you can make changes on parts of your business that you understand and know about, you'll learn more about these terms as you go and I think like for a business like myself I started as a sustainable business I knew about carbon footprint and I wanted to reduce my carbon footprint from day one that was something that I always considered throughout the whole process and it did take me a long time I was doing research for months and months maybe even a year or two before I actually started my business so it does take time I mean when you when you run a business you do kind of get stuck in your ways you have your processes for things you have your manufacturers set up you have your packaging and all that money and time that you've spent designing and finding those products and you've got them to then go, yeah, well, you've got to change the way you do your whole business. It's going to be daunting. So I feel like people need to hear that message of it's okay, just change as much as you can for now and then build on it over time. It's like, it's manageable. Wing, your thoughts on this? I think there's a lot of inertia from businesses that have been operating in a certain certain way. And now you introduce these new terms and they were running the business fine, or at least they had a way to run the business. Uh, so to Aoife's point, it might be easier to start a business now with this in mind than to shift the business. But it's not really true. And actually, you know, the stats show that small businesses do drive half of the emissions. And, and the real reason is because whether you're a small business or a large business, it's just the fact that if you're doing a physical business of any kind or a product, you're using carbon in logistics, in energy, in how you make the thing. A lot of the difficulty, I think, is because that carbon footprint, that carbon usage is in the supply chain where you're not directly seeing it, but it's real. And I think there's two things that come out of that is one, there is demand for the information. So it's good to see that more people are looking for that knowledge and they're trying to educate themselves. But there still is this misunderstanding that all businesses have a part to play and that they can do something about it. And so I think the that, that is great, though, is that people can't find it right now, but they would be interested to finding out more. And that's a positive thing, I think, even though the priority is not quite there yet. Rich? I think, if I'm being honest, 20 years ago, you could have the excuse, oh, it's a bit complicated, don't really know about it. It's I think that excuse is wearing pretty thin now. There's been, I don't know, countless documentaries, films, articles, books. It's so out there. It's not actually really that complicated. It's like, just be more efficient, use less carbon. I mean, you want me, here's a practice example. Switch to green electricity supplier. 
How difficult is that? It's like you can do it online in a few seconds. And so I, I, I think we have to, at some point, you have to move from being really understanding and going, oh, yeah, it is really difficult. At some point, you go, mm, now, if you're running an organization, you've got easily, easily the mental bandwidth to understand all this stuff. And it's not some weird niche topic anymore. It is mainstream and it's here and it's happening. So, yeah, I really agree with Aoife. It's like, just do one thing. It's doing the one thing that gets you started. But doing nothing, I actually think is like, you're out of time, you're out of excuses, not interested. You know, oh, sorry, I didn't understand, it's too complicated. That's called an excuse. It's not a valid reason, in my opinion. Do something anything even if it's just change your stationary supply to ethers <laughs> there's an endorsement for you ether <laughs> but anything is better than nothing it's like i have the same approach to fancy dress parties right not doing anything is totally lame turning up in just your work clothes is lame some people go to like a massive extent but worst case put a sheet over your head and pretend you're a ghost <laughs> right a failure to do anything is a failure of imagination a failure of energy and I don't really, you know, I'm I'm not going to go, oh, well, never mind. I'm sure you did your best because you clearly didn't. Get on with it. It's time. I love your straight talking. <laughs> I, I love it. That's brilliant. I'm from Yorkshire. <laughs> and Aoife, if you want me to just cut that that little bit of, of Richard's endorsement for your business that you can share on social, we'll do that for you. That was excellent. <laughs> Ideally, they're going to go wings business and see all the options. And then the people that are of you know a stationary mindset are going to go to Eva, but there'll be other things on wings so i think we can like as you said we've got to like connect the whole the whole ecosystem definitely sounds good yeah i think that's an excellent <laughs> place to leave it L- listen before before we go um let's just give listeners a chance to find out a little bit more about each of your companies let's do a quick once round for web addresses rich let's go to you first well if you are in the market for a delicious natural healthy environmentally sensitive smoothie you want to check out innocent drinks and if you're a uk-based startup that wants to help make the world a better place to get rich in the meantime you want to check out jamjarinvestments.com lovely Aoife if you're looking for wrapping paper diaries notebooks greeting cards anything and then check out florist at www.florist.uk spell florist f-l-o-r-i-s wing sourceful yeah if you're a fast-growing brand with an impact story then we're happy to help you with your packaging and product design and it's sourceful.com S-O-U-R-C-E-F-U-L. Tremendous. Aoife, Wing, Rich, thank you all for joining me online. Really enjoyed the discussion. Also, um, thanks to uh, Shanika for her contributions as well. Just a reminder, the web address that um, Shanika shared, if you would like access to the Green Decoder um, or access to any of the British Business Bank's Green to Grow resources, then you can do that via their website. So obviously we're going to have the links in in all our um, show notes and everything, but it's british-business-bank.co.uk slash finance-hub. You'll find a link to the information in the guide to greener business also on the homepage. In the meantime, we hope you've got a lot out of this episode. We'd love to hear your comments on today's discussion. You can do that on our Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube channel, LinkedIn, Instagram pages. They're all linked from the top of the website at csweekpodcast.com. You'll also find all our previous uh, shows and supporting show notes there, plus links to where you can follow us or download each episode via your favourite podcast app. And also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do give us a positive rating and review finally 
if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or you can connect with me on Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.